I grew up in the era of Rambo and Rocky and professional wrestling. I didn't know a wider geopolitical context for all of that. I wasn't thinking as a child about the Cold War with any anxiety or regularity. For me, these were eternal battles, good versus evil, with good always somehow coming out on top. My father, a university professor, who longs for the days when football players supposedly scored touchdowns, politely and humbly returned the ball to the referee, jogged quietly to the sidelines, because it's all just part of their job, did not like the fact that I was into professional wrestling. So when the World Wrestling Foundation announced that they would be coming to Winthrop Coliseum with Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Ric Flair, and others, my dad bought two tickets. He was going to prove once and for all that wrestling was fake. And it worked. Camera angles can make what is essentially synchronized gymnastics with soap opera storylines appear to be brutal warfare. I saw it clearly that night and soon thereafter lost interest. How I wish I could take my son to a movie set. Throw back the curtain and show him that the devastation and Syria, and Turkey, and Germany, and every other country he learns about more because of their tragic events than their rich cultures is all just a sham to give men with too much testosterone something to get excited about. But I can't. It's not fake, and there are no indications that it's going away. And yesterday's events in Fort Lauderdale remind us it's not just in other places. So when I have an adolescent moment and long for Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and Rambo and Rocky to show up and take care of business, I need also to have this job, which isn't in a coliseum or in a movie set, but in Florence and with a Bible. This job where somebody hands me Isaiah 42 and shows that God has a different way of handling a world that is sometimes violent and destructive. God says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teachings. Thus says God, the Lord, 
created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the dark prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God is doing something new. Something different than what the warring people have always tried. Something that we're still waiting to be completed, but that was begun in earnest in Christ's birth. Many Christians have read Isaiah 42 as a description of Jesus' ministry among us. The Jewish people have read this as a description of what God's call on Israel is. As it turns out, both can be true. And we can add in followers of Christ too. We also are called to serve in His likeness. We are to emulate the God who visited us in a Palestinian man born 2,000 years ago. A man who carried no weapon in a violent society. A man who spoke of putting away your sword and turning the other cheek. A man who lived out Isaiah's pronouncement of bruised reed he did not break. A dimly burning wick he did not quench. Good news for us bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks. There are times, I suppose, when the right thing to do is to prune Bruised reeds out of plants. But this servant, the one God chose, the one upon whom God's Spirit resides, won't snap it off. Jesus, we've observed, would take time to tend it. Think of the difference. If we have two characters to observe, one who walks by a bruised reed and in his power shows it by breaking it off. And the other who walks by the bruised reed in his power takes the time to tend it, to prop it up. Which of those speaks to you of God? The answer matters. How you see God determines much of how you see the world. You can see in the Scriptures a God of wrath, and you can engage the world wrathfully. God, we're told, has leveled whole cities and killed individuals, which has been used to justify lots of condemnation and violence. But I would argue that the balance is in the other direction. That most of what we read about God throughout the Bible is about a God who is slow to anger 
and abounding in steadfast love, a God who is on the side of life. Jesus, were he to come across a dimly burning wick, would do what he could to add to its brightness rather than snuff it out. Particularly when the dimly burning wick is one for whom he lived and died. I think we can personify the dimly burning wick. I have been a dimly burning wick. At times I am still a dimly burning wick. I can feel the flame in me sometimes about to go out for lack of oxygen. There are times when it feels like the wrong person could come along and quench me with just one word. There are also times when the oxygen is returned and the the wax is pulled away and the light grows brighter. When the right people come along. When God comes along. When Jesus brings out life. We have this God who has chosen to put His Spirit on one who won't break a bruised reed, who won't snuff out a dimly burning wick, which is a comfort to bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks. And we've come to know in Jesus that His not breaking us when we're bruised and not quenching us when we're burning dimly is actually just the beginning. The starting place may be comforting us, but that's not enough for God. God has a mission for those who have been comforted. And often it's in the fulfilling of that mission that bruises get healed and darkness is brightened. We break out of darkness. By bringing light to others. I have given you as a light to the nations, God says. Imagine that. A dimly burning wick is now a light to the nations. A bruised reed now ministering to others. I don't know how to resolve wars or terror. It seems that more war has led to more war, not less. If I were the ruler of the world, I think I'd put grandmothers in charge of militaries. I'm pretty sure they'd work things out differently. The one who is the ruler of the world has shown us something different. It's a movement that started with his baptism in the Jordan River and is carried forth all the way to the P.D. River. It's a movement that takes hold first in a home and is nurtured in a church. It infiltrates your neighborhood and your school and your workplace and the places you shop, the, the places in town you rarely go. It's a movement born and following the one who seeks to draw out more light from you, not quench the light that is in you. And the more we engage the movement, 
the less likely we are to snap off bruised reeds and the closer we become to bringing light to the nations. You yourself can't bring world peace, but you can bring more peace to the places you are. You yourself won't brighten the whole world, but you can make the places you are and the people you're with brighter. You yourself can't be a perfect disciple, but your discipleship can become more genuine. That's why we remember our baptisms. To give thanks to the God who sees in our dimly burning wick something that can grow brighter and does what he can to make our light shine. And so we're invited into deeper devotion and greater service for God's sake, for our community's sake, for this church's sake, for our very own sakes.